0: This morning, I want to title my talk, Never Lose the Wonder of the Magnificence of the Church. And um, I'm just putting the title out there, and I'm going to ask you to just be open as I I move along with what I'm sensing and feeling. There's three things that I want to launch out with before I get into the scriptures. But for the guys that were here last week with Durbanville Central, I don't know if you remember, there was that young man, Clay, from America. That joined us. And I don't think folk realize, but uh, as we had Jacques and Jeanette and their team here last week with this young man, I thought that he'd been with us for a period of time. And only to find out that he'd been with us for 24 hours. And he had landed Saturday, went to an evening function with the folk, and was here the Sunday morning. But what really stood out for me on Sunday was I said to him, so what brought you to South Africa? And just to cut a long story short, the bottom line was this, was to come and fall in love with Jesus. And the most amazing thing happened was that Sunday morning, I don't know if you guys recall, we brought him up to the front at the end of our meeting, and we had a whole group pray for him. And I remember Jacques' words saying to me after the meeting, he says, you guys have just shown him Jesus. And I want to encourage us this morning is that as we... Spend time under the Word, as we certainly listen to scriptures, which includes myself let 's not lose the wonder of who Jesus is. He, he is worthy to be praised he's worthy to be honored and glorified. Ultimately, the church is being built on him because he 's the chief cornerstone that 's the first thing. The second thing is I want to touch on two things which I think will be helpful for us as well, because I think God's got something that he wants to do with this. But on on Thursday night, my youngest daughter, who was overseas, um, busy with her yachting stuff and that, and she posted on Instagram one of the events that they were at, and the kids were partying and doing their thing and that. And um, there was a young man that was busy dancing, and she had a little caption on it, and she had the guy's name, and it was all a fun thing. But within two hours, three hours of her going home, her and the crew, they went home. That young man went back to his boat, totally inebriated, and fell off his boat and he drowned. A young man. My daughter was devastated. But I was more devastated because I asked myself the question, what happened to that young man after he passed away? Where is he? And you'll see as we go along that when, when these type of things happen, the reality is for some of us, death is going to come. Without us anticipating when it will happen, like that young man, And I want to say to you that we need to be ready to meet our maker. For that crew and my daughter that were part of that whole setup, this is a wake-up call. And I'm trusting that the values we've placed in Caitlin will be something that will ring true for her. But my heart goes out for that young man and his family and the crew that he was part of. Because he lost his life, being careless. My question is, where is he today? Now, you might say, your ends." that's hectic to start off like that. Well, I want to give you the good news. Because, you know, with all bad news, there's good news. And on Friday morning, after this situation happened, at 10 o'clock on Friday morning, I was invited to a home of a lady who's 39 years old, got terminal cancer, has stopped all treatment, has got a four-year-old daughter. She's married Staying with the Omar to be cared for. And I said to the person who told me about the story, I said, can, and if they open, can we have an opportunity to go and meet with her? And we did. And I sat and I just shared the good news. I said to her, I really do want you to know that God can possibly heal you. But if he doesn't heal you here, he will heal you there as long as you have made a decision to acknowledge that you are a sinner, you're broken, you need in need of a Savior. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus because once you pass away, there's no second chance. You see, we can go to funerals and people will say, oh, he's gone to a better place. Well, that's relative. We've got to stop appeasing the, the ears of the people Because you can only go to a better place if you recognize your frailty and your weakness and your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. And so for me this morning, launching into never losing the wonder of the church, I think God will do something with us is to be reminded as the church of our responsibility that God gives us to reach the lost and the broken in this world. Let me say this from the pulpit here. You cannot save anybody. You cannot heal anybody, but at least you can give people the opportunity to hear the good news, and you can at least position people by bringing them to the meetings that God can intervene in their lives, because ultimately, He's building His church. My heart breaks for the young man and those that are around him, but my heart celebrates for a lady that sat Praying a prayer with me and the tears just pouring down her eyes. And I asked her afterwards, I said, how do you feel now that you've prayed this prayer? She said, Ants, I feel like a weight is lifted off my shoulders and I feel peaceful. And I said to her, you know what? God loves you and he will look after your family. So I want to launch with this. How the church has changed my life. You know, when I look back over the years, I was invited to a meeting by a business colleague, and I was involved in transport, and I went to his business premises the one day, and I just happened to notice that there was a worship book on his desk, and we got chatting. Now, you must understand, I came out of a Presbyterian stroke, Anglican stroke Presbyterian background. So what had happened was when I saw this, and the guy said to me, oh, no, this is this church that we're involved in. It's a church very similar to uh, Josh Jen in Sunningdale, What had happened was every day I was driving back and from work past this place, and they had this banner outside their home, and uh, it would have been like saying Josh Jen. It was Life Changes Church. And like every time I drove past, I thought, what cult has moved into our neighborhood? You know? And, And it's like, this is weird. Why? Because we grow up going to... A big building established, an Anglican facility, or Presbyterian, or Enchia, whatever the story is, because that's what we're used to. And then God introduced us to this story of a church that started in the neighborhood like it did with many of the Josh here. And so God, um, through us being invited to the meeting, started to break into our lives. The gospel was preached to us. I received Jesus. I ended up being water-baptized. I ended up being prayed for for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and, and God moved powerfully over our lives. The other thing that the church did that was very powerful was that my wife, Lee, was pregnant with our second daughter, and she was not able to go to the first few meetings. I went one week, skipped a week, went one week. I was like really quite, quite good at that. One week, skip, one week, skip, you know? That lack of pattern. And so what happened was, I went to the meetings, and then the... I think it was about the third or fourth time that I arrived there. This big hamper was given to us, filled with baby goods. So would you bless your wife with this? They'd never met Lee. And so what happened was I went home and I said to Lee, I said, you know what? I can give myself to something like this. The people have never met you, yet they've loved on you. They've loved on our daughter that's coming. I can give myself to this. And as a result of that, And I mean, seriously, we were in a space of considering going back to Johannesburg because we were miserable down here in Cape Town. Can you believe it? (laughs) How is that possible? Eh? But thank you, Lord, for the church. Because somebody had a praise and worship book on their desk. And somebody was bold enough to talk to me and to invite me to be a part of that meeting. And I want to tell you it was awkward because I've never seen church being held in a lounge and children's church in a bedroom. And, and we went and ended up in the gym and we used to end up having children's church in the toilet. But the nice thing that God did was he made sure that the floors were heated. As a result of this, God broke into our lives he rescued our marriage. Six years into our marriage, we nearly got divorced, but God broke in. We were raising our children and taught how to raise our children in what was very different to how we were raised. And I want to say to you, our children are not perfect by any means, but we had values instilled to us through the church. And we started having biblical values that were input us, into us as business people, as friends, and starting to understand church life. And then we realized that God was calling us to more. Getting us into a place where we will serve him and serve his purposes. And church was no longer an attachment to our lives. It was our lives. Why? Because it belongs to Jesus. And I belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus if we're Christ followers. And so my heart was absolutely captured by this. I've got to be honest this morning and ask the question... What would you do if there was no local church in your area? Where would that leave you and I? The church is there for a reason. I think there's a silent cry in our communities of people who are broken and lost and confused. And God has heard the cry of his people like he did when the guys were in Egypt. He heard the cries and he said, I will send you want to rescue you. And this is God's hand and his heart reaching out into a broken community. That's why the local church is so important for us. And so with that, how we view the church is important. And I'm going to touch on a few things this morning. And uh, I've done a little bit of a study through uh, Wayne Gridham's um, um, doctrines, Uh, of the various doctrines of the faith, of which one is the doctrine of the church. Because what we believe about the church needs to become part of the bedrock of our faith and what we stand for. When people speak to us, whether they speak to Hichu, Alma, to to Roger, they say, what does the church mean to you? They should, without speaking to each other, be saying the same thing about the importance of the local church and the church universal. And so we will look at a few of those things as as we go along here. The church is God's chosen vehicle. It's his chosen vehicle for those who are saved to walk out this life's journey, serving God's purposes here on earth. And we believe that everybody should be rooted into a local church. It's in and through the local church that you serve the purposes of God. Because by doing that and having that in your heart, you're building, part of building his kingdom, not your own. And so everything gets done on that basis, and we see it throughout Scripture. So I want to just launch with a few scriptures in Ephesians 3, please, Corinne. I'm going to go from verse 1 to 13. I just want to give a bit of context as we, as we go with the scriptures itself. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. I am reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together with one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was now that through the church, say church, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. That scripture speaks so powerfully for itself, and we need to see Paul writing this from prison and, 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 and the man is writing a story where his heart has been captured by Jesus. If you go and read in Acts chapter 9, there was a man who was at one point persecuting the church, hunting Christians down, separating families, and then Jesus broke into his life. He had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was radically transformed and changed. That's the power of the gospel moving here. And so what happens is Paul starts to emphasize that which was a mystery has now been made known. It's the revelation of who Jesus was, that Jesus is building his church, that he would be an instrument. And God is saying the same to you and I, that we need to understand our need for salvation, our need to surrender to Christ. And then when that happens, that we are brought into a place that we will serve the purposes of Jesus in this generation until God calls us home. And so I want to look at a few things here. I've want to just i just sort of tried to, this week, see where the Holy Spirit is leading around this. But for me, it is in and through the local church. Can you see the importance of us being the church and what God wants to do in us and through us? And I'll highlight a few more things. But let's look at Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In the church, what is important for us this morning, and I feel like we need to emphasize this more often than what we have, is our relationship firstly with God needs to be right. It's through faith in Jesus. We need to learn to love the Lord, love on Him. And it's about adoring Him and being expressive in our praise and our worship and grateful for all that He has done. And there needs to be a reverent fear That we spoke about this morning in the prayer meeting. He's he's, he's not Father Christmas. He's Father God. He's holy. He's righteous. And our relationship here needs to be right with Him. So in the church, that is what we need to be focusing on. The minute we get that right, our relationship with one another should then also start to be restored. Because what happens then is that God not only wants you to walk right with Him, but you walk right with one another. And you'll see where this is going now. That is the heart of God, that we would love Him and love one another. The thing is, God calls you and I into team. He calls us into a body. And I want to say to you this morning, you don't have the choice of the brother and sister sitting next to you in Christ Jesus. Your friends you can choose, but your brothers and sisters you can't because God's chosen them for you. It's beautiful, eh? So if I crop in your sly, in other words, I scratch in your salad... God has ordained it. <laughs> so there's a few things. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. You'll see the Great Commission. Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. So what are we seeing here? I'm just reversing some of the stuff because this is what I'm sensing God is saying, that, that we need to get it right with Him, get right with one another. But as we sit here today, God brings us together, and He says, I'm bringing you together, and I've got a mission for you. When I post on WhatsApp and I'm saying to the guys, please will you invite your family and friends I'm doing it for a reason. I'm trying to help you to live what we see in the Bible. Because there are family, friends, colleagues, sports friends, etc. Who don't know Jesus. And potentially could end up like young Flynn did on early hours of Friday morning. Falling off the boat and drowning. And there's no second chance to receive the gospel after that. The good news of Jesus. And we need to position ourselves accordingly. And you need to know you've been called on mission. It's lovely to meet and to, and to spend time drinking coffee and tea. And, and doing all these wonderful things. And enjoying the music and the worship and all of those things. But there are people that are right now going to hell if they don't hear the good news of Jesus. Sorry. For some of you, this might be a bit of a wake-up call this morning. But that is our reality. And the church needs to get a grip of a love for Jesus, love for one another, and a love for the lost. You cannot save them, but Jesus can. So the nature of the church... The Greek word is ecclesia, is referred to as the church. This is a community of believers coming together, the called out ones, a people who gather to worship God, receive input, get equipped, and then go out. The Old and the New Testament speaks about the church coming together. There's often gatherings um, in the Old as well as the New Testament. And that's why these moments are so important for us. Do not neglect the gathering of those that come together. It's important. You don't know what God could do with your life. You could say something that could change someone else's life forever. You don't know what God can do. Your lack of being there. I'm not saying when, when you go away for a weekend and you're on a holiday or whatever the story is. I'm talking about just getting unhelpful patterns. We need to understand that the church is no longer in an attachment to our lives. It is everything. It's part of what we do, and we give ourselves flat out to this. So, the nature of the church is a people then that will go out. There's a group that gathers and I want to say to you that God is not only wanting us to gather here in community, but he's wanting us to do it all around the Western Cape, all around the country and in nations of the world. That's why when we say to you, go, let's give ourselves to missions, let's go on mission trips, look at what's going on out there and just go and be a part of it. You don't know what God could do in and through your life going forward. Then the church is invisible yet visible. So You're saying, what? It's a good question, What? The church is invisible, yet visible. The invisible church is how God sees it. We cannot see the spiritual condition of people's hearts. So as we sit here this morning, I don't know what is going on in each person's heart. But we will see the evidences of some of the things outwardly working in people's lives that people will attend, meetings. And and we can see aspects of their lives being changed, like aspects of their, their character and their nature, But ultimately, it is God who sees what's going on in people's hearts and also that He knows who belongs to Him. And as we sit here right now, God sees every heart. Nothing is hidden from Him. So that moves us to the visible church. Then what does that look like? It says it's the church as the Christians on earth sees it. It includes all of those who profess faith in Jesus and give evidence of that faith in their lives. You know, for me, when somebody gets saved... We should not have to wrestle to get people to a place of being water baptized. We've got to teach around those things. And then at some point, people will say, I need to be water baptized. We should not be wrestling for the infilling of the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life. All right. And so what happens is the the things that we do amongst ourselves, people will see, ah, there's something. I can see God's been working in this person's life. So let me give a practical example this morning. This young man over here, he ate a a stem, he's an angel, (laughs) I must tell you the story, (laughs) really well done this morning, first time you've ever done that, that for me was the Lord this morning, you know why, because you broke out this morning, I'll offer myself as a living sacrifice, it didn't, it, it sounded great. But if you've got a trained voice, you might think differently. It sounded great, and we're proud of you. Why? Because ultimately, he was glorified and honored. That's what it's about, church. So those are the things that we look for. It's not because he wants the mic. It's not because um, the, the people that have come up are sharing because they want to be in the limelight. No, no. They're offering themselves as living sacrifices. Don't point a finger. Celebrate. Say, man, I wish I was as brave as that person. This is a beautiful sign of the church in motion. So I want to celebrate that victory there. Well done. So these are the things that we look at. There's character, nature changes. There's a love for God and a love for His people, a love for these moments. But also you need to know in the church, the reality is there are also going to be some unbelievers that come in. And I want to say those that are not yet saved, welcome. I'm prodding the still dam. Because I've got faith to believe that God is going to add not just into Central, but Edgemead, Brackenfell, and other congregations that are here. Well done. Those that are not yet saved, we have these meetings so that you can come together with the saints and enjoy fellowship with us, but most importantly, that you can get to meet with Jesus Christ. That's what we trust for. But the reality is that we will have the lost, the unsaved in our context. And it's important for us to understand that the church all around the world, We'll have this. I want to read 2 Timothy 2, verses 19. It just says, as we come together, it says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, The Lord knows who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. And here's a beautiful scripture that just tells us that God is in control. He knows how to build His church. He's very smart. And we mustn't stand in judgment of people But there must be evidence that if you're a Christ follower, that you'll no longer carry on down a road of destruction and sinful behavior. Acts 20, verses 29 and 30. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to drive away disciples after them. And so what happens here, again, you need to know. In the midst of the church, as a leader, as one of the leaders of our congregation, we are aware that even Satan can plant people to try and cause havoc in the life of the church. And so there's shepherds here to care for the people. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus will care more for his bride than you and I ever will because he's more passionate about it than we are. But we need to be aware that this is a reality in our congregations. And let's look at Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs or from thistles? And it's very simple. What fruit is evident in people's lives as we walk out together? That's what we see in the life of the church. Is there fruit that we see representing what Jesus wants from us, or is there something counter to that? And it's just as Christ followers, just to be mindful of the fact That as we serve the purposes of God, there will be people that are lost and broken coming in, that God has got an appointment with them to win them over, to save them. And then there are also going to be people that will also be totally counter to the gospel. And it's just for us as a church to be aware of that. And then also, the church is local and universal. We have seen a wonderful demonstration this morning of our local context—a church that tries to walk out what we see in Scripture, living closely to what we see there, living it out as best as we can. But we also need to know that the church universal is. There are many churches like ourselves that are meeting around the Western Cape, around the country, and across border and the, and across the nations of the earth. And that's why our four twelve contexts are so important is that we need to know that the churches that we are part of are carrying similar values and that the gospel is being preached and people are going to the nations and and, and it's to and fro. And so we need to be aware that right now, what we are experiencing here, God is busy doing in other parts of the world. Even as we sit here right now, there's probably in Australia, places like Japan. In Japan, uh, China, those places, there might be underground meetings, but those people have an absolute passion and a love for Jesus and the people that are there with them. All right, as I start to land this plane, we're at thirty thousand feet. We're going to start dipping and coming down. So I want to look at some metaphors for the church. This is what the ch- pictures of the church, what the church looks like, what Scripture says about it, and I think this has been uh, going to be very important for us. And so we've hit this ball a few times down the down the field that the church is a family. Would you agree? I mean, one of the things that I've always heard people say when they've come in and they've left us, they said, you know, there's such a feeling of family here. And I want to say to you, we're not perfect. There's no family sitting here that's perfect. But what is heartwarming for me is when people walk through the doors and they say, we feel so loved, it feels like a family. That for me is a very, very good sign for us as a congregation. And I'm trusting the same with the other congregations that are that meeting. But Paul writes to Timothy and, 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 he, and he says that, that if we look at all the members, he says that you are all members of a larger family. So I'm just going to give you the wording. If we have got to go through all the scriptures, we will be here for 24 hours. But I've got them all backed by scripture. Most importantly, that we are members that are part of a larger family. And scripture speaks of God is our father. Jesus said when we pray, our father who art in heaven. So it speaks of family. And then it also speaks of us being sons and daughters. So there's a beautiful picture of family. I don't want to labor that because we've touched much on that over over the last 18 months, 20 months. But the church is also a bride. Ephesians 5.32 speaks of a husband and a wife representing a picture of Christ and the church. And we see that also in 2 Corinthians 11. So when you're reading scripture and you suddenly see uh, this whole thing of bride, husband, bridegroom, Your mind immediately should be going into a space that that actually the church is a bride of Christ. You, Andre, is the only time in your life as a guy that you'll be a bride. You as well, (laughs) Luke. Isn't that amazing? But we have a bridegroom that is waiting for us. So we are part of the bride of Christ. The other thing that we'll look at is that we are... The branches on a vine. We are rooted into a vine. It speaks of something. The the branches hang into the vine. They fit it into the vine. You can go and read that in John 15. We're also an olive tree. The the church of God is referred to as an olive tree. Romans 11 speaks of that. It speaks of branches that are grafted in. You and I were messed up. We were broken. And the most beautiful thing is we've been grafted into a healthy, healthy, healthy stump. And we've been wrapped and tied into Jesus. And it's the nutrients of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus that actually feeds us and keeps us going. And then on top of it, we start to produce fruit, olives. That's actually what should be happening. We're a field of crops, a building. It's interesting when we look at a building in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9, you can go and read that there. But actually, one of the things that the Lord has been highlighting this week, if this was a work site, this would be a site filled with rubble. And what is happening is God is busy chipping away and He's busy shaping us all, which is what the prophetic word was brought earlier on. God is building His church. He's not in a rush. But nothing on the site is going to go to waste. He knows how to shape you. He knows how to cut you. And he knows how to position you so that you can serve his purposes. The thing is, you and I are living stones. And the problem is with us living stones is we try to run off the site occasionally. And you're running with your arm hanging behind because he's still trying to chip away at stuff so that you can fit in. And we run off the site. I want to say to you, stay on the site. Let him work in you. Let him work through you. Let him position you so that the kingdom of God can advance. It speaks of the church being a harvest. And so you can go and read that in John 4.35. The church is also referred to as a new temple, um, not with literal stones, but built with Christian people who are living stones, and they're built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Maybe you can put up 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 8 for me, please. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And so for me, I want to say to you this morning, don't let the rock fall on you. You fall on the rock this morning. There might be people that are here this morning that don't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Sometimes what can happen and we've had this scenario in the week where um, we've had the opportunity to chat to somebody who got himself into a difficult situation. I want to say to him, you know, sometimes God can allow these things to happen because he's trying to get your attention. Rather, when he gets your attention, fall on the rock and say, Jesus, I need you, rather than try to run away and eventually let that rock fall on you. You don't want to be living in that space. I love something that Artie Kendall says, you know, never let the Lord humble you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Is this making sense, guys? So with that, you are a living stone being added into into this incredible story. The church also uh, speaks of us being a group of priests. We're a priesthood of believers, a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices. And that's why we get the saints to participate here. In the Old Testament, there was the duemonee that would go behind the, co- the curtain, and he would operate on behalf of everybody. That has changed. The new compensation with Jesus coming in has allowed you and I to be a priesthood of believers, to do the things that God has called us to do, but we do it collectively in team. This is the environment. We understand there is a godly order. There's elders. There's deacons. We'll have common group leaders, but God has called each one of us to come into his household and to and to, and to do that which the priests are expected to do. Preach the gospel, love the Lord, love His people, love the local church, have a desire for the lost, for those that are broken, and trust God to do the rest. And so with that, we also know that the church is viewed as a house and that Jesus is the builder of the church. And then this last scripture, 1 Timothy 3, verses 15 if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. For me, I want to encourage us as a congregation that we need to not only be filled with the Holy Spirit, which, is, which I believe we all are, but we also need to be a church that is word-based. And so those two need to come together. You and I get to uphold what we see in Scripture and we need to walk that out. Jesus, when he was being tempted in the, in the desert, three times, what did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. I want to encourage us as Christ followers, when we are spending time with family and friends and in the workplace, that, your opinion counts for nothing. It's what God's word says in a particular situation. We come back and say, you know what? The word of God teaches us the following. This is what we hold on to. Live in that space because if anybody has an issue, it's no longer an issue with you. It's actually directly with the Lord because all we're doing is upholding what we see in Scripture. And as a church, we should be like three peas in a pod. If somebody speaks to you around marriage, someone speaks to you around finances, someone speaks to you around singleness, we should be able to all collectively use the same Scriptures to address those issues with people. And then lastly... We're the body of Christ, and we've heard a bit of that this morning. So as you read your Bible, church, which I trust all of you do, but as you read your Bible, give thoughts to the different metaphors that we have. And the reason why I think this was important for us this morning, because we can get so focused on us being a family that we forget that there are other facets of the diamond that God is calling us into. Where it speaks of us being a field, um, a, a, a crop of fields, If you look at it, if this was a field here right now, there's rows between us. If we had to go and pick grapes or an orchid, how do they do it when they're out there? They all work together in their rows and they walk together. You don't have people going off on a tangent. They work together to make sure that the crops are being well picked and taken care of. And God does the same with you and I. We walk in tangent with the Lord. We walk in tangent with one another until he calls us home. So when you read your Bible, see this facet of of all these things that I've highlighted this morning and and, and the vast riches that comes with this incredible vehicle that God has given us to be a part of. Every believer belongs to a church. In and through the church we function, operating, serving the purposes of God. And and I want to encourage us to this. The fact is that the church is seen as a family, should cause us to increase our love and fellowship for one another. The thought that the church is like a bride of Christ should stimulate us to strive for greater purity and holiness, a greater love for Christ and a submission to Him. And the image of branches in a vine should cause us to rest in Him more fully. We come with gratitude before the Lord for this local church. This is because God heard the cry in this community, in this city, in this nation, And he's heard it in the nations of the world. That's why we have churches being planted and people coming together, demonstrating what God can not only do in them, but what he will do through them. This morning, we're going to break bread. And I'm going to give Andre the opportunity to lead us into that. But I'm going to ask you this morning, perhaps you're sitting here, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and I want to say to you, friend, this morning, the importance is this, and I don't want to use scare tactics because that can seem to be quite manipulative, and that's not the intention in the heart here, but my heart is bursting with the fact that a young man lost his life on early hours of Friday morning, and my plea is that you are here today for a reason. The Lord loves you. He wanted you to hear that there is a way out. He wanted you to hear that there is good news, and your broken life can be made whole if you would surrender it to him and say to him, Jesus, today I am yours. Is there anybody here this morning? I'm not going to embarrass people. I'm not going to ask people to come and stand up in the front here. I just want to ask if you would be kind enough, because this is a moment that God is reaching out to you to just stick up your hand and say, you know what? I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior this morning. Is there anybody here? that needs us to pray with Him this morning. We don't want to miss this opportunity. Just raise your hand where you are. Right. If you change your mind after we break, and we go and we break bread together, please come and chat with myself, Andre, and Luke. We'd love to help you there. Bless you guys.